Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode 71, Toxic Relationship, describing a variety of environmental problems that became a cascade. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. The website is www.patreon.com forward slash the history of chemistry. A while back, I talked about one of Japan's four big pollution diseases, Itai Itai. Let's look at the other three. The second of the big four was discovered in Minamata in Kumamoto Prefecture in 1956, and so came to be called Minamata disease. But first we go back to 1908, when a chemical plant owned by the Chiso Corporation started producing fertilizer and then some chemicals including acetylene, vinyl chloride, acetic acid, and more used as reagents for a variety of chemical processes. The factory became so successful that the town of Minamata had a good economy and business, largely concentrated in the Chiso plant, was booming. But there was a downside, and that downside was pollution, which went into the bay, harming the fishing industry. The fishing cooperative came to legal compensation agreements with Chiso in 1926 and 1943, and the plant kept producing. Another product the plant synthesized, starting in 1932, was acetaldehyde. The process to make acetaldehyde needed a catalyst, which was mercury sulfate, along with manganese dioxide as a co-catalyst. By 1951, improved output from the plant came from a new co-catalyst, ferric sulfate. Ferric is just a chemical word for iron. It turns out that 5% of the pollution began to become methylmercury, which, along with the rest of the pollution, was dumped into Minamata Bay. Five years later, in April 1956, doctors at the Chiso Plants Clinic were unsure what caused a five-year-old girl's neurological problems. Her younger sister also had it, and then after investigating neighbors, there were eight more people suffering. It was reported as an epidemic by May 1st. A special committee started investigating the epidemic and heard anecdotes of wildlife and cats with unusual behavior near the sufferer's dwellings. Then residents began calling it cat-dancing disease, and more reports of crows falling from the air, lack of seaweed growing, and dead fish in the bay continued. Kumamoto University was called in for help. The Kumamoto researchers discovered that sufferers were generally living right along the bay and that they always ate sea life from the bay. So now the researchers thought that maybe there was food poisoning. But they reconsidered and announced in November that likely the cause was heavy metal poisoning, not a bacterium. So over the next two years, suspicions shifted to the pollution from Chiso, with hypotheses about manganese, thallium, and selenium contamination. In March 1958, 
A British neurologist, Douglas McAlpine, known for his research into multiple sclerosis, visited and offered the idea that the neurological problems were mercury poisoning. Local human hair samples were very high in mercury. By February 1959, the concentration of mercury in the bay was mapped, and the researchers found huge amounts in sea life and sludge centered mainly around the outflow from the chiso plant. There was so much mercury, something like two kilograms per ton in the sludge, that it would have been worth mining directly. Later, the company did just that. I should add that Chiso Company itself, like General Motors of a generation earlier, dealing with leaded gas, was deflecting, withholding information, and non cooperating to the point of disseminating fake news. And this lasted in various forms for an entire decade, during which mercury pollution of the area continued. It took till 1968 for the Japanese government to officially recognize mercury from Chiso as the problem. Litigation lasted till 1973 when the court ordered financial compensation from Chiso. A third pollution disease in Japan began in 1956. We moved to the Japanese city of Yokaichi, where oil refineries were built in the late 1930s, especially for the war effort. But the refineries were bombed out during World War II, and the Japanese government promoted rebuilding in the 1950s. The Daiichi Petrochemical Complex was built from 1956 to 1969 and began operation as an oil refinery, a plant to produce ethylene and other petrochemicals, and an electric power station. A second complex was built in the area in 1960 to 63 and began production as well. The imported oil came mostly from the Middle East and it contained up to 2% sulfur compounds. You might begin to guess where this is heading based on previous episodes. Soon after the Daiichi complex began operations, all kinds of breathing difficulties increased dramatically in the local population. A nearby village, Isozu, had 2.5% of its inhabitants suffering. The disease came to be called Yokaichi asthma. Yet other problems in the area appeared. When the complex opened, the local Ise Bay fish began to exhibit a greasy odor and awful taste. The local government thought that mineral oil pollution was the cause. As with GM and Chiso, the plant officials claimed the cause was a sunken ship. The air became dreadful with soot and smog plus a bad smell. Soil quality dropped in that grain yields in the area fell. The initial suspicion was that sulfur dioxide in the air was the cause, but a 1984 study by Yokohama University pointed to sulfuric acid pollution. The sulfuric acid came from a factory synthesizing titanium dioxide. In the meantime, In the early 1960s, tensions between the local people and the government not doing anything about the problem 
came to a head when fishermen plugged up a drain pipe from the Mie Electrical Company using sandbags. And the electric plant then jacked up their effluent from the pipe so that locals couldn't do this again. A lawsuit against Petrochemical Complex No. 1 began in 1967, the very first trial in Japan dealing with environmental pollution. The lawsuit was ruled for the plaintiff's favor in 1972, stating that the company was negligent. The final big pollution disease from Japan is really a repeat of number two, that is, another version of Minamata disease. This time in 1965, there was an epidemic of methylmercury poisoning in Niigata Prefecture, so it was called Niigata Minamata disease. Like in Minamata, the cats went crazy, and then the people did. The culprit was found by the Ministry of Health and Welfare. To be methylmercury at a waste outflow from a Showa Denko factory making acetaldehyde. And in a horrible parallel to General Motors and Chiso, Showa Denko also spread fake news that the disease came from agricultural chemical runoff after a 1964 earthquake. So sufferers here as well were forced to file a lawsuit against Showa Denko in March 1968. The court again found in favor of the plaintiffs in September 1971. All of the publicity and trials surrounding the big four pollution diseases in Japan eventually led to the creation of an environmental agency in Japan in 1971. Let's briefly look at the methylmercury compound. It's really a methylmercury cation, that is, a CH3 group, the methyl part, attached to a mercury atom, and the whole thing has a single positive charge. Therefore, it appears as an organometallic salt with a balancing negatively charged anion, which could be chloride, hydroxide, or nitrate. You might think that methylmercury is only a product from industrial waste, but that's not quite true. Microbes can form the compound wherever there is significant water, though the precise bacteria are still not known. Mercury atoms themselves, which are part of the mercury methyl molecule, can originate in volcanoes erupting, or forest fires, or even eroding of mercury ores in rocks. Because we are talking about sources of mercury atoms, let's examine the global mercury cycle. Recall that nitrogen and carbon, along with other elements, have a cycle in which atoms of those elements circulate around the Earth's crust and the biosphere, so naturally mercury has a cycle as well. There are six steps in the mercury cycle. 1. Mercury gets released from rocks, dirt, local water sources, volcanoes, and human industry. 2. Mercury, which has a high vapor pressure, meaning that mercury likes to evaporate, can be carried as gaseous atoms in the atmosphere. It can last up to a year in the air. 
Note that this is why a broken mercury thermometer with balls of mercury rolling around on a table is dangerous. The liquid mercury evaporates easily into the air in the room. Three, the gaseous mercury falls to land and sea, perhaps after photochemical reactions with the sun's light. Four, mercury is oxidized from metal atoms to mercury sulfide, which is not soluble in water. Five, the mercury sulfide precipitates out onto sea floors, or is taken up by bacteria and converted into more soluble methyl mercury. And finally, six, the methyl mercury can go back into the atmosphere, or get eaten by living creatures, which themselves get eaten. And so on up the food chain to us. It is hard for our bodies to remove methyl mercury, so it accumulates as a poison. Recent studies indicate that human-caused mercury emissions into the environment are roughly 30% of all the mercury around. About 10% are natural sources, and 60% or so are emissions of mercury that accumulated in the soil and ocean. Of the human-based sources, the largest component seems to be small-scale mining of gold, and the next source is burning of coal, then making cement, and then about similar amounts of industrial gold production and wastes from commercial products. How do people put mercury into the environment these days? Back in the 1970s. Estimates rate burning as a source for atmospheric mercury atoms, which fall to Earth and contaminate soils and the ocean via rain, or to the ocean via soil erosion and leaching into rivers. That has dropped in the late 20th century, but seems to have plateaued and maybe increased some again. Other non-human sources for mercury in the ocean. Can be undersea hydrothermal vents bringing up mercury-laden minerals. From all this, the concentration of mercury in the past century has doubled in the top 100 meters of ocean water. We know that this has an effect on animal life. Mercury concentrations have gone up 12 times in Arctic creatures since before the Industrial Revolution. Because we are discussing toxicity, I want to bring in a special guest today, Dr. Myra Weiner, a toxicologist. Thank you, Dr. Cohen. One key principle that is important in understanding the effects of chemicals on human health is the dose-response curve, or dose-response. People are exposed to toxins in the environment. Including in drinking water, food, and air, at different levels of exposure or dose. This means that the higher the exposure or dose to an individual, the greater the potential harm from adverse effects or toxicity. The less exposure or dose, the smaller the toxicity to exposed individuals. Each chemical has its own typical dose-response relationship, from possibly toxic at high doses to relatively non-toxic 
at much, much lower doses. There is a very small dose that causes no toxicity to a given chemical. This is often called the no-observed effect level, or NOEL. The NOEL value is specific for each chemical. In Japan, the NOEL for methylmercury was greatly exceeded even by the small amounts found in the water and food. Therefore, people, fish, wildlife, birds, and pets all became sick at very low dose levels of exposure to methylmercury. By contrast, exposure to cellulose derived from wood and used as a food ingredient, even at relatively high doses, is without toxic effects. Thus, it is important to understand the dose response to a given chemical if there is the chance for exposure. Toxicologists evaluate the dose-response relationship to chemicals and determine the no-observed effect levels and the safe levels for humans. Safe levels to humans for a given chemical are typically considered to be 100-fold below the lowest no-observed effect level from animal studies. The lethal dose 50, or LD50, is used to compare the lethality of a single dose of different chemicals. In this test, groups of animals are exposed to different single doses of a given chemical. The deaths found at each dose level are compared and the dose that causes one-half or 50% of a group of animals to die is considered the lethal dose 50, or LD50. The LD50 is expressed in milligrams of chemical per given body weight in kilograms. It is useful and a well-known common value to compare different chemicals. The LD50 measures only acute lethality and does not accurately reflect the full spectrum of toxicity associated with the chemical over longer periods of time. However, it is useful in the acute effects that are lethal of different chemicals. For example, sodium chloride or table salt has an LD50 of 4,000 milligrams per kilogram body weight, whereas nicotine has an LD50 of 1 milligram per kilogram body weight. An example of perhaps the most toxic substance, botulinum toxin, has an acute LD50 of 0.00001 milligram per kilogram body weight. LD50 values for methylmercury vary with the test animal species, age of the test animals, and other factors. In rats, an LD50 of 29 milligrams per kilogram is reported for methylmercury. In humans, a dose of only 0.07 0.07 milligram per kilogram 
defines mercury toxicity and a dose of 2 to 4 milligrams per kilogram can cause lethality to an individual, but is not an LD50 value. In summary, methylmercury is a highly toxic substance which resulted in harm to many humans and other species from the unethical dumping in Minamata Bay in Japan. Eventually, laws were created to prohibit and regulate environment exposure. Thanks. Perhaps now we can understand the link between environmental chemistry and toxicology. In our next episode, we will talk a bit about how inorganic compounds were named over the past several centuries. Until then, brave the elements! Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast.